Welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, February 13th, 2022. And now, Pastor John Gentry. Uh, Let us pray. Oh God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Well, Welcome to another week uh, in this challenging sermon series entitled Stranger, Finding God in Unexpected Places. Uh, I hope that uh, this series has energized your spiritual imagination and, and given you something to chew on. Uh, I know that I have been uh, challenged listening to Pastor Jim preach uh, these last few weeks. Uh, this series is based on Dr. Krish Kandaya's book, God is Stranger, What Happens When God Turns Up. And uh, for three weeks and counting, we've been looking at stories in the Bible uh, where God uh, does not always act as we might expect God to. Uh, just when you think you've got God figured out, God surprises you. And at times, as we've uh, been talking about, God can feel like a stranger um, who we are meeting for the first time all over again. And so far, uh, we've looked at the story of Adam and Eve uh, when they get reacquainted with God, who is not only an intimate friend, but also a holy other. Uh, We've looked at the story of Abraham, who learns uh, that showing hospitality and empathy uh, to strangers may lead to an unexpected encounter with God. We've looked at the story of Gideon, who comes to understand that God has his own sense of timing and methods. And today, we look at the story of David, who is one of the most, in one of his most vulnerable and strained moments, uh, as it's poetically told in a psalm. You know, we, uh, we just heard Gloria read through the beginning of Psalm uh, 69. So let's, let's listen again to those first three verses. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I'm weary with crying. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. Now, I know that what you are thinking, uh, just like me, when you hear these gloom and doom words, the context is obvious. It's clear what's going on with David. You see, his team didn't make it to the Super Bowl. That's what's going on. So, David, your team didn't make it to the Super Bowl this year, huh, David? Well, get over yourself. You're not the only one. Today is a day for the Rams and the Bengals, all right? Let's just let them have it. You know, just enjoy the commercials and the wings and watch the game like everybody else, David. Can you do that? No, of course, I'm joking, but, you know, there's no way that that King David would have had the time to tune in to the big game. I mean, everyone knows that kings don't have time for uh, that kind of stuff. They're off doing kingly things. You know, no Super Bowl for David. Uh, But all jokes aside, what brings us back to asking the real question, what was going on in David's life to bring us this alarming psalm. The biblical scholars will uh, tell you that it's hard to place what part of David's life this psalm might be referring to, which is either frustrating if you're the kind of person that needs to know the backstory, 
Uh, or maybe the fact that it's ambiguous is actually uh, convenient for us as readers and listeners because it leaves us room to fill in the gaps with the details of our own lives and connect with David's story, his story, with what we're going through right now. You don't have to know all the juicy details of what's going on with David to be able to relate uh, to all the feelings that David shows us in this psalm. You know, if, if, if you've ever gone through a dicey time in your life, uh, and maybe that's right now as we speak, uh, there are probably parts of this psalm that put words to your own story. Uh, psalm 69 starts off with a water metaphor. The waters have come up to my neck, David says. The issues that David is facing feels like an angry act of Mother Nature, like water has quickly become dangerous and turned on him. You know, I, uh, I know a, a thing or two about dangerous water. Uh, in the summertime, when I was in high school and college, I volunteered as a camp counselor. Uh, and this is me uh, when I was... Uh, volunteering for Camp Lion's Den one of those summers, just a wee lad in his early 20s. Uh, and during one of our scheduled um, time-offs, a group of our counselors decided to drive up an hour north into North Carolina to take a uh, summer dip into the Horse Pasture River uh, in Pisgah National Forest. Uh, and I actually had come up with the idea and, and pitched it to my fellow counselors. You see, there's a, a little cool little bend in the river called Turtleback Falls, uh, which is a very popular swimming spot in the summer. And one of the biggest lures is that you can slide off the waterfall into the pool below uh, because the rock face of the waterfall is, is very super smooth. Uh, maybe, like a, I don't, maybe that's why they call it a Turtleback Falls. It's like a turtle shell. Super smooth. And so you just park at the trailhead, and a short hike later, uh, you're there ready to have some fun. And I had, uh, I'd been there a bunch of times with my family, and so I was excited uh, to introduce it to my counselor friends. So we left camp in the morning, we drove north about an hour and a half, and then we made it to Turtleback Falls. And we were the first ones there in the morning, and since I'd been there before, I had told them to watch me uh, and follow my lead. Uh, there was one problem, however... <laughs> You know, I was missing some very important, important warning signs. Uh, warning sign number one, I failed to take into account that it had rained all morning. And that changes currents. Warning number two, I didn't really pay attention to the fact that the water was white, moving very quickly. Warning sign number three, when I jumped into, the, uh, jumped into that river, you had to swim across a little, uh, just swim a short distance and climb up a rope. Well, when I jumped in to climb that rope to get to the top of the waterfall uh, where you slide off, the rope tugged really hard against the current and it made it a lot harder to climb than I remembered. But I also somehow missed that warning sign. <laughs> but when I did get to the top, I finally listened to the last warning sign as I made my way uh, to slide down uh, and I was walking across that top of the waterfall, felt the, the ankle-level water trying to sweep me off my feet. That's what I knew. So I, uh, I quickly called across to my friends on the other side to stay where they were 
Uh, and I'd climb back down the rope to swing back across. And that's when it happened. The fast-moving current forcefully swept me down the river, uh, and it dragged me into a hydraulic, uh, which is a kind of like being stuck in a washing machine, which, as you can imagine, is very fun. Every time that vortex carries me back up to the surface, I had just enough time to gasp for air before being dragged back down under the water again. And as I caught glimpses of my friends across the river scrambling to find something to throw me, I genuinely wondered if I was about to die. Uh, I remember calling out to Jesus for help, even though I couldn't see any way out of it. I knew that uh, if I did get out of, the, of that hydraulic, um, the, the current would take me downriver where I would hurtle over the 150-foot rainbow falls, possibly, probably, to my death. Experts will tell you that uh, if you get stuck in a hydraulic, uh, the best strategy is to swim for the side, uh, swim for the bottom, or swim hard into the current and curl into a ball. Uh, I did none of those, <laughs> didn't know any better, so uh, I flailed, and I reached for anything to grab on the nearby rock wall, and fought to keep my head above the water, uh, and what happened next, some might call luck, uh, I think of it as the grace of God, as, as my vision started to go black, and as I began to lose the strength to swim, my body went limp, and was carried deep enough to be spat out of that hydraulic. And so when I surfaced, uh, I barely had the strength to swim. And to my amazement, the current pulled me towards the shore where my friends were waiting to grab me and pull me out. I remember uh, when they pulled me out, I looked down and began, was very startled uh, to see that my limbs were blue and purple. Uh, and I uh, learned an important lesson that day about respecting the power of Mother Nature. You know, I think that's probably why David's figurative language about water in Psalm 69 really works so well. Life, as we know it, kind of like water, has the potential to transform into totally different things. Now, there's times in our lives when the water feels calm and enjoyable, life is smooth sailing. You know, things with your family and your job and your goals are on track. Uh, you're not overly worried about anything major. But if you've lived long enough, you know that there are other periods in your life when the storm hits. That still peaceful water suddenly turns against you and rages. And like David in Psalm 69, we cry out to God to rescue us while we're treading water which has come up to our necks and is much too deep for our feet to find any stable footing. We cry out to God because the problems that we face feel like a flood that is sweeping us away into anxiety and desperation. And with David, we say, save me, O God. You know, there are many moments in David's life when God does come to save the day, rescuing David uh, and the army from Goliath and the Philistines. When God rescues David from the threats and the hostility of King Saul. You know, there's plenty of examples. But what happens when God does not come to the rescue like you ask God to? You know, there's the, the subtitle 
for this chapter on David is this. The God who used to turn up, in which an angry king calls to a stranger because there are more giants to slay, and we judge how hard it is to love our enemies. You know, some of us uh, have been raised in the church saying, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. And Kandaya asks, um, what happens when that eternally good God doesn't turn up right away, especially when we need him, especially when the waters get rough? What are we to do when God feels like a stranger? If you've ever asked that question, then Psalm 69 is for you. The beauty of the Psalms is that they address a huge range of human experience, from gratitude to lament uh, and everything in between. David may have not uh, been the only author of Psalms, but a large number of them tell us about his life, particularly the prayers that David expressed at various points in his life and all of its ups and downs. And there's a psalm for almost everything that he went through. Well, here in Psalm 69, we get a more grim picture. You know, Eugene Peterson claims that the importance of David's story isn't to give us a picture-perfect model to live by. It's to tell us something about what it means to be in relationship with God. He writes this, The David story immerses us into a reality that embraces the entire range of humanness, stretching from the deep interior of our souls to the farthest reaches of our imagination. No other biblical story has this range to it, showing the many dimensions of height, depth, breadth, and length of human experience as a person comes alive before God, aware of God, responsive to God. We, never, we are never more alive than when we're dealing with God, and there's a sense in which we aren't alive at all in the uniquely human sense of alive until we're dealing with God. David deals with God. Um, as an instance of humanity in himself, he isn't much. He has little wisdom to pass on to us to live successfully. Yes, he, he was an unfortunate parent and an unfaithful husband. From a purely historical point of view, he was a barbaric chieftain with a talent for poetry. But David's importance isn't his sorry, morality or his military prowess but his experience of and witness to God. Every event in his life was a confrontation with God. You know, someone might be tempted to think of confrontation and relationship with God as being opposed to one another. But as Peterson points it out, God seems to invite us to open those lines of dialogue with the divine and work out our relationship with God in the midst of what's going on in our lives. You know, one of the books that our church staff uh, has examined in the past for uh, team building is a book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And in it, uh, Lencioni argues that conflict is a necessary element in relationships because it shows that you care. You know, when it's used in the right way, it makes opportunity for becoming more engaged with the other person and learning from each other. And if there isn't room for conflict, there won't be room for growth. So reflecting on, on this, Greg Fisher writes, conflict is healthy, even though it's probably going to be uncomfortable. Real harmony exists when 
Your team trusts that it won't hurt to invoke opposition. And in Psalm 69, we definitely get that open, honest David, who is not afraid to feel his feelings, and is comfortable being candid with God. He understands the value of hidden, the hidden value of conflict and confrontation. Uh, during our staff's uh, scripture journaling this week, one of the staff joked that it sounds like this psalm, Psalm 69, sounds like a page from an angsty teen diary. Like it was maybe meant to keep private, but somehow end up on the public document of our book of Psalms for all people to read awkwardly. You know, it definitely can feel uh, that, that way, angsty, mopey, e- emo-y. Uh, but taking another way, it could work as an invitation to have or to be courageous enough to be open and honest about our emotions uh, that we've been trying to bury and the frustrations that we've been trying to ignore. You know, maybe we can take a page out of David's diary in that way. And here, in verse 4, David opens up about being backed into a corner by people that hate him where it feels like he's got no one in his corner. His enemies outnumber the hairs on his head. And then verses 5 and 6, he opens up about his own issues and how he himself, he has himself to blame for some of his problems. You're the mighty king, not so mighty as you might think. He pleads with God to spare the people he has dragged into his own mess. And then we get to verses 7, 8, and 9, where David says something that we can all relate to. He talks about how hard it is to be a person of faith sometimes, how we don't always see God turn up right away when we need him. And so speaking to God, he says, it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my kindred, an alien to my mother's children. It is zeal for your house that has consumed me, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. So, is David being whiny? Or maybe, maybe a tad, maybe a smidge. But he is dealing with God, as Peterson puts it. And you have to give him credit for that. He's wrestling with what it means to be a person of faith when God is nowhere in sight. You know, where is the line between mopey grumbling and vulnerable, unguarded, real talk. It's hard to say. Maybe it's not as clear-cut as you might think. Uh, part of it has to do with, you know, who's being judged, right? You know, if it's, if it's your airing of feelings under the microscope, oh, it's probably, uh, it's probably real talk, right? But if it's others, other, airing, other people's airings of feelings under the microscope, oh, it's just grumbling, you know, that's how we operate sometimes, right? We give ourselves a little bit more benefit of the doubt. Uh, but Chris Kandaya points out that while God does, does invite us to truthful and candidness in our prayers, we have a tendency to confine our prayer life uh, to the issues that are bothering us. You know, because more than we really should, we view God not as God in all of his fullness, but as the one who can solve our problems. And so he writes this, the problem for many of us is not that we are afraid to pray like this, like David, but that we are too prone to do so. Too often our prayers are rescue prayers, treating God like a recovery service, not just there for the extreme breakdowns, but to fix 
every flashing light in the dashboard, whenever and wherever uh, we struggle to get started in the morning for whatever reason. Our prayer life can become so self-serving that we lose sight of God and others. Maybe it's not that God makes himself stranger by failing to intervene every time we help. Perhaps we make God a stranger by ignoring the things that he cares about. So Kendaya tells uh, the story of Viktor Frankl, uh, who was a Jewish psychiatrist living in Austria, uh, who was sent to a concentration camp during World War II by the Nazi regime. And Kandaya retells a story like this. He set up a care unit within the camp to help newcomers try to adjust to the horrors of camp life. He also set up a suicide watch for prisoners. Frankl survived three years living in that camp, and then after he was liberated, he went on to have an important career lecturing and researching in psychological healing. One of Frankl's most famous observations was that uh, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and freedom. That's what he said. You know, that's powerful, isn't it? You know, most of us will never know that level of physical and emotional suffering, and probably not that level of courage and bravery either, but we can all benefit from Frankl's insight that there is a space somewhere between what's happening to us and how we respond where God gives us the power to choose how we will respond. You know, most of us aren't very good at making the most of that space, you know, if someone insults us, we immediately launch a response that we aren't uh, maybe not so proud of later on. Uh, we get blamed for something, we immediately come up with reasons it's actually someone else's fault. Uh, I'm sure you can think of any other example. The question is, how do we stay in that space between stimulus and response just a little longer uh, so that we aren't so reactive or defensive or explosive Maybe at least one of those keys, as we read in Psalm 69, is opening ourselves up to God. Even when he has felt like a stranger absent from our woes, and trusting ourselves to God's wisdom and strength. You know, which, admittedly, doing that may take some discomfort. It may take some waiting. Occasionally, the, the pride-swallowing acknowledgement that we, what we should do isn't exactly what we want to do, but, you know, as we move towards being able to pray with David in verse 13, hopefully we find ourselves saying this, but, for, but as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable O time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me. At an acceptable time. Being comfortable in that awkward, uncomfortable space as we look to God for wisdom, knowing how to respond. Now, I didn't know this, but until researching for the sermon, uh, Psalm 69 is one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament. Yes, this angsty, uh, mopey, <laughs> depressed psalm is one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament. Uh, you know, a parallel is drawn between the sufferings that David experienced 
and the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ. And even further to the point, we see in Jesus the king that God's people had always needed. Uh, Author Mays writes this, Psalm 69 cannot be read directly as the prayer of Jesus or as an intentional prophecy of suffering, but it does provide a context for reflection on the passion of one who bore reproach for the sake of his God. And by the way he bore it, and by the vindication of his resurrection, gave hope to the lowly and promised that God's saving will will for his servants be completed. Jesus is the consummate and correcting example of the kind of person for whom the psalm was composed. You know, Jesus, a descendant of David, Jesus, a kind of king that runs against all of our expectations, offers us the grace that we need. He has suffered for us and with us. He has given meaning to that suffering, and he's reconnected us with God, given us hope for a full life with God. Whatever you are going through today, or whatever you may be facing in the near future, know this. God hears you. God loves you. And God wants to be in relationship with you. And yes, there may be some wrestling involved, and there may be times when God feels like a stranger, but we must continue to seek God and trust that God will journey along with us as we do. Amen? Amen.